1: Welcome to Trashy Divorces, y'all. I'm Alicia. My name's Stacy. Thanks for joining us this
0: week. We are so happy to have you here. Settle on in. I can't quit with tutors. I you just can't. We're <laughs> going to do a happier divorce story this week from the- Oh, you mean a survived divorce story? This <laughs> week. Divorced and, and survived. The happiest of Henry VIII's wives, I would think. Anne of Cleves is my profile today. And you are taking us to a different kind of story today. Stacy. you're covering the trashy divorce of... Self-help guru, women's
1: empowerment guru, oddly um, pretentious person, Rachel Hollis. Her divorce from similarly titled Dave Hollis. Yeah, two very different stories. Really different stories. There are some things in common, but not, not a lot. Big girls don't cry.
0: Before we get started with the episode, I want to give some shout outs and thanks to our Patreon community, the best community ever. There are lots of ways to support us at Patreon.com slash Trashy Divorces. Just did a recent tally. We have over 650 episodes. Thanks. You get early and ad free in different seriesies. Mm-hmm. Right now we're running May in Monaco. We covered the Hotel du Cap. And Sarah and Gerald Murphy earlier this week, you did a fun thing
1: on... Ada blackjack, unwitting Arctic explorer and friend to survival cat, Victoria. It was amazing. Always <laughs> forgot about Victoria. She's the best. <laughs> Yay,
0: cats. <laughs> Lots of good stuff going on over there. Check us out if you want. If you want to check us out in the meantime for free, we do have a new bit.ly link, bit.ly slash trash candy, yep. where we're going to be rotating out just a handful of... Extra episodes for you every week if you want to get in on Patreon and hear what that
1: sounds like. Yep. Just pulling stuff from behind the paywall. Absolutely. Because information wants to be free. Information can't wait to be free. I got this magic mirror right here. Do it's you? It's sparkly. Yeah, I see some names in it. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, let me, let me kick us off here. Thank you so much for joining us at Patreon.com. Juliet N., Nancy P., Eliza M., Lisa J., Anika K, which could also be Aniqua K. We don't know. Let us know. We love you and appreciate your support. Let us know how to say it. Shira A, Jennifer B, P.
0: Lindsay T, Elizabeth N, Lisa J, and Jennifer C. Thank you. Enormous love and thanks to you. Want to give a big shout out to two new super supporters as well. Christine H and Michelle H.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, y'all. Are the very best. We can't tell you how much we appreciate our Patreon community, as well as our Sunday
1: audience. Thanks for joining us today. Alicia, what should happen now?
0: Oh gosh, we better go, go, go.
1: Alicia, I didn't realize that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the American Congresswoman and AOC, had a divorce under her belt already. She's so young.
0: Not that AOC, the original AOC is who we're gonna talk about today, Anne of Cleves. <laughs> Anna Cleves. Apparently this month is a Henry VIII shit show sandwich on trashy divorces.
1: We will never dislodge you from the Tudor crimes.
0: Are <laughs> <laughs> we are some of y'all know we do live in Atlanta, Georgia, and our air conditioning has gone completely out. And our friend Double E thinks that I have angered the ghost of Henry VIII with my Anne Boleyn episode that came out on Trashy Royals last week. You have said some choice things about um, the former king. Oh, well, on Trashy Royals this week, we're going to talk about Catherine Howard and Jane Rochford.
1: So, What what appliances do they govern?
0: (laughs) I'm hoping to get the uh, revenge of... Henry's queens in this story. If you smack talk the Earl of Sandwich, does the fridge go out? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Y'all, Anne of Cleves. If there is a success story for Henry VIII's wives, Anne of Cleves is your lady. In this story, we're going to cover her life, her very quick marriage, her very quick divorce, as well as, for anybody still mad about the murder of Anne Boleyn,
1: Which many, many people are.
0: The downfall of Cromwell. Thomas Cromwell is going to get his in this story. And you get what you give, bucko. Pretty happy about it. Anyway, the legend of Anne of Cleves. She's called the Flanders mare. She's called the ugly one. She's not. She's adorable. But it's a handy narrative to blame her looks on how the marriage goes wrong when, again, whose fault is it always? Henry VIII is to blame.
1: Is she one of the ones that um, Hans Holbein toured the continent painting for 14th century tender or whatever? She is. Okay, cool. She is
0: a 14th century tender profile. And that picture, that painting of her that Holbein does is now hanging in a very, very tiny little corner of the Louvre Hmm. in Paris. You'd never know it was there unless you knew it was there. But when we go to the Louvre, that's the first painting. I, I don't care about the Mona Lisa. I want to see that Anna Cleves portrait. Okay. Okay. Anna Cleves. It's a handy narrative to call her the Flanders mare. And oh, it was her ugliness and smelliness and all the things that were wrong with her and not maybe necessarily wrong with your potential bridegroom. But how do we get there? The good bits of this story. The marriage only lasts six months. Second bonus, Anna Cleves never has to go to bed with him. So, double bonus, she's going to end up living large as a divorcee, as well as the king's sister. Her title is changed from wife queen of Henry to, oh, you can just be my sister now.
1: Not weird, okay.
0: Not weird at all. Other bonus for Anne of Cleves, she is going to outlive not only Henry VIII, but his other five wives as well. Hmm. She's going to ride the ups and downs of Tudor England. She's savvy. She's super savvy. She's great at some political maneuvering and knows how to actually keep her head attached onto her body. Anne of Cleves is born. Guess where? Cleves. <laughs> September 22nd, 1515. Hear that, Cleveland? Pride of. <laughs> She's a Virgo girl. She's actually in that cusp of beauty. Cleves at this time is kind of part of Dusseldorf. So you think of it as a little bit of a backwater, but it's not as backwater as you think. Her father, of all the king names that happen, this is one of my favorite. Her dad is John the Peacemaker. Hmm. It's not a good name if you're a king. I mean, there are worse, for sure. And we've met most of them. But John the Peacemaker is the world's number one Erasmus fan. He is really into... The new learning and some progressive things. This is not an un... uh, The court is not as backwater as you think it is. Now, Anne is not really educated in the sense that girls in other European courts are. She only knows German. She doesn't learn a lot of other languages. And in German, apparently she's a hoot. She's hilarious. Like, she is... Awesome in her n- native language. So
1: she's a sparkling wit if you can converse with her. Correct. Okay. But she doesn't know a word of English by and the time. I'm sure Hank didn't sit for German lessons. <laughs> <laughs> but she learns
0: the other typical things that girls learn, right? Musical instruments and sewing and all those things. But it is not quite as advanced of an education as a girl would have received in the French court, so to speak. So, Anne, not learning English or other languages or having the other opportunities in education, but that's okay. She's the second kid, and it's her older sister that makes the good marriage. When I say good, like, once her older sister marries, like, oh, whatever happens with Anne happens with Anne. Like, we've already made this other powerful alliance. The plan for Anne is just to marry a duke somewhere in a duchy and, you know, fulfill her duty. I mean, she's not really the uh, Henry VIII type, right? So no one could have anticipated the weird down, weird fallout of events that gets Anne in the place that she's in. Because Anne, growing up, chilling in Cleves, loves her mom, loves her family. She has an older brother who will be king one day. He's kind of a prat, but everything's rolling along. And at the age of twelve, Anne is contracted in marriage to Francois of Lorraine. This whole story stories about alliances. This is the first one, but
1: alliances change. God, she could have been known as the quiche of Lorraine. <laughs> Lord, mischances. <Missed> <laughs> Leave
0: your mark, Anne. Francois of Lorraine is another kid as well. These kids don't give their consent, their dad's broker this thing but. The contract is eventually ripped up. No one touches knees. There's no proxy marriage. So there's not anything to contend with. But this is like international marriage market edition and it's fine. But by 1527, because the contract is canceled, Anne's kind of free to marry whoever her dad tells her she's going to marry next. And she's just going to stay in Cleves. She does not travel outside her home vicinity until she makes a voyage to England. So we're going to leave Anne in Cleves. Hanging out, growing up, Pratt brother, John the Peacemaker, a hoot in German. Okay. Let's travel up to October 1537 back in England, where 12 days after delivering the long awaited Prince of England, Jane Seymour dies. And Henry VIII, happy father, finally has that son, but grieving widower, Well, really, three times over now, right? So to your point, we have done the divorced, beheaded, died. We've done the first (laughs) three. Round one. Right? (laughs) Now we're getting around to number four, divorce. So Henry, happy father-grieving widower, is going to go on a campaign to plaster, like, Jane Seymour as the maternal superhero saint angel. Even after Henry marries again a bunch of times, Jane is painted into portraits as the true queen and the only wife that this is his one true wife who loved me the most because she delivered a boy. So Henry's going to kind of keep in grief for a while. But by 1539, alliances and shifting powers will make it necessary for Henry to, alas, be in the marriage market one more time. Woo. So let's go visit Cromwell again, because now we're in international diplomacy. And Cromwell, to his credit, is very, very good at that. Just really briefly. In 1539, there's a treaty called the Treaty of Toledo, which is signed by Chucky the V, who is the Spanish Roman Emperor, as well as the nephew of Catherine of Aragon. This treaty is signed with Chucky V and Frankie the One of France. And this treaty that they've come up with pretty much says "fuck you, Henry." We're done with you. And Henry is like, "You can't cancel me." And So, so- France
1: and Spain are ganging up against England. Is that yes? Yeah. Okay. That's never a good sign during I mean, that's- this era. Yeah. I-, I know. That's that's all the history of European of Europe. history. Mm-hmm.
0: Who's ganging up on who at any given time? Yeah. Well, Henry is now like, crap, I'm going to need some non-Catholic allies because it's the Spain-France Catholicism thing. Find me a German girl. Well, find me anybody who will have me. So Cromwell gets this idea because at the time John the Peacemaker is dying and his lands, like Henry's, sometimes have been removed because the church can't keep their noses out of anything there's a little parody in the way that Henry and John the Peacemaker govern Even at this point. There's some common understanding. And Cromwell is plugging Anna Cleves. You know, beautiful kid. She'll, she'll be great for you. But there are other contenders on the list that we have to go through first to get to Anne. Marie of Guise is the first one. And she has a lot of powerful French uncles who are never going to let their niece Marie take that deal with Henry. Marie of Guise is going to go on to Mary, who her contract is actually with, which is James V of Scotland. He's the son of Margaret Tudor. Margaret Tudor's Henry's sister, so it's still all in the family, but Marie of Guise going to marry James V, deliver birth to Mary, Queen of Scots,
1: okay,
0: not Henry the next wife. Then we have Christina of Milan. She's another contender. She's really pretty. She's a teenager. She's gorgeous. She's a hard and fast no with a very famous quote. I would gladly marry the king if I had two necks, essentially is what it says. (laughs) Girl. Yeah, I I would gladly marry the king if, yeah.
1: Yeah, if only I had a spare head. That's it. Because- Henry, at this time,
0: doesn't really have the best international reputation.
1: You think? he <laughs> <laughs> is <I'm laughs> stunned. Wow.
0: Unreliable with the ladies. Uh-huh. Because not only has he killed
1: his second wife, he, you guys, just nasty. I mean, he forced a schism with the church to divorce his first wife. Correct. Murdered his second wife. His third wife died. Like, she's, and Anna Cleves is going to be number four.
0: Mm. And in Trashy Royals, we're going to talk about... The next beheading on the Tower Green on Wednesday. So, like, he's he's not great, as it goes with reputations. History
1: has determined.
0: But Henry, in his quest on the marriage market, it's kind of impractical for him to go out and survey the meat market in Europe. So he is going to send out Hans Holbein, famous portraitist, out on the tour to make true likenesses of these women. And sure enough, Anne of Cleves is on that list. Cromwell, used to getting what he wants. This would be a terrific foreign alliance. How bad can she be, Henry? I hear she's good looking. Let's send Hans out there. And the portrait returns. There's the lovely Anne. Holbein will go on to paint for Henry like, in the future. So I can't imagine that her likeness is not true. She does look different than English girls, but she looks like a Germanic princess. She's got a really sweet face. She's adorable. She's, a little different than the current type in England, but she's cute as pie. Okay. Henry gets the picture. He is captivated and falls in love instantly and begins talking about plans for the marriage. Let's get some treaties in place, boys. I'm ready to do this. And it's on. So in late 1539, Anna Cleves packing up and leaving Cleves to become the next Queen of England. And this is a Far better outcome than anyone in Cleves could have predicted for her. What, you're going to marry a king? I mean, he's a ruthless bastard dictator, but sure, you're Anne. Holy cats. Now, by this time, John the Peacemaker has passed away, and Anne's Pratt brother is in charge, and everyone in Cleves is warning Anne, like, the English are different. Be suspicious. Keep your guard up. Be wary about where you're going. They're not like us, Anne. They're not like us. The journey takes place in the wintertime, which is kind of a crap time for a journey from Germany to England. But Anne will arrive on New Year's Day in 1540. That's your benchmark. And Henry. Henry cannot wait the three damn days to see her at the appointed time when he's supposed to. So Anne of Cleves and all of her ladies are holed up in a home to rest and just pause in the journey. This home has lovingly set up a nice round of bear baiting for them to watch. The English are not like us, Anne. Be wary. And Anne is looking out the window horrified at this bear baiting. But Henry, chomping at the bit, cannot wait to meet his beloved. And so he decides to pull one of his best old tricks out of his charm closet. Uh, what What is in the charm closet of Hank 8? Well, all that peasant clothing, all the homespun clothing with the cloaked hood. And Henry and all of his merry men are going to pull out their faithful cosplay thing. Because this is a masquerade for him. And he believes that true lovers will always know each other and be able to see through disguises.
1: (laughs) Okay. Now, So you just hauled this girl in from Germany. She doesn't speak the language.
0: (laughs) Okay. So at 11 o'clock, she's watched a round of bear baiting. Sure. She's already a little freaked out. Sure.
1: Flipping through Colbert.
0: (laughs) Okay. Now, a few things to (laughs) note. When Henry VIII pulls initially throughout his life this uh, cosplay thing, First and foremost, earlier, he's a handsome prince. He's lean. He's fit. He has a penchant for the theater and could probably pull the whole thing off. Right now, Henry is in his late 40s and is in terrible physical condition with an open leg wound. Okay.
1: Any reports on how that smelled?
0: Yeah. It's pretty gross in the, All right, in, so, the, in the records of history. So you could
1: see him coming. <laughs>
0: Well, also, as Henry does this masquerade cosplay thing, the English court knows what he's doing. They're playing along. So he's done this with Catherine of Aragon. All the men bust in and, we're these strangers and you're my true love and you should know me. But the court plays along. Everybody knows it's cosplay. Mm -hmm. So the ladies are like... Ooh, who are these terrible men? Oh, rogues,
1: knaves. (laughs) Exactly. Okay.
0: Okay. Enter poor Anne of Cleves, this Germanic princess who has seen bear baiting for the first time. I'm from suburban Dusseldorf. We don't do this. (laughs) Doesn't speak a word of English. Surrounded by English people and their weirdness. And she probably like, oh, my God. Just wants to take a minute. Like, why do you do this to bears? Like, she's probably just trying to wrap her mind around that. I was going to turn on Conan next. Enter Stop. Henry Eighth with his open leg wound <laughs> and his band of now middle-aged merry men who are storming the ladies. And Anne and all of her German ladies are like, they don't know the language either. And they don't know what the king looks like. And they're here for Anne to marry the king. And these middle-aged peasant army army buss in. And they're like, who are you people? This is an enormous disrespect to the king. We are Duck Dynasty. Does Henry know you're here doing this? Why are you here trying to compromise Anne's honor by licking her face and assaulting her? Oh, Henry just walks. It does not go great. Let's put it that way. They don't know that. Like they don't know the customs. They don't know the language. So now this gang of middle-aged men and smelly homespun they haven't worn in 20 years. It's terrible. It doesn't go great. Henry and all of his merry men are going to leave because (laughs) it doesn't go great. And he will come back non-hooded, dressed in purple and gold and when he walks in, everyone bows and is like, oh, shit. Because Anna's just made unwillingly and without intention the mistake that is going to seal the deal before the marriage even happens. She has rejected the king without knowing it was a king, probably because she was damn terrified. But the ladies maintain composure. Anne will bow. They greet. They make merry. And then Henry will beg off again to meet her again at the appointed time in three days that she had actually prepped for. That meeting goes off without a hitch. Anne of Cleves does every other thing right from this moment on. But what has she done? Henry has been embarrassed. Oh, don't embarrass that. Don't embarrass the king. No,
1: I feel like there's ample reason to think that's a bad idea. There's
0: a lot of repetition of don't embarrass the king in this story. So Henry's embarrassed and he's enraged and he's going to tell Cromwell, walking away from that ill-fated New Year's Day event, I like her not. and see how well this is going to go. Henry is now putting the screws to Cromwell. Like, buddy, same verse, same as the first. Buddy, I'm going to need you to get me out of this. Remember how you got me out of Amber Lynn? We went ahead and killed her. You've gotten me out of every tangle I've ever been in. Since you weaseled your way in and took care of Woolsey for me. But, like, Cromwell's a fixer. But Cromwell has written the contract. There is no way out because Cromwell has has written the contract. It's sealed. Oh, Lord. Okay, but they find a way. Nah. He's got to marry. He's trying to get out of marrying her before they have to get married. Okay. But the contract is written. Sure. Sealed. All right, so no choice. No choice. Cromwell's not writing on certain contracts, and now trying to get out of the marriage would undo months of international diplomacy. It's a disaster. And Cromwell, in the last, I don't know, five days, is not given anywhere near of a chance for Henry to wrangle out of this before the wedding, because the wedding takes place January 6th. We've had a bad New Year's Day. Six days later, the wedding is happening. Cromwell's like, I can't dissolve this contract in five days. You're out of your mind, Henry. And what is Henry doing? Complaining the entire time. Henry's going to complain to the wedding night. Can't get it up. He will kiss her and say, good night, sweetheart. And they wake in the morning. They're sharing a bed, but there are no dirty deeds done dirt
1: cheap. Or otherwise.
0: Henry says, Anna Cleves is fat and smelly and certainly not a virgin and... I just can't get it up. It's not my problem. This is not my fault. It is because of her. And this goes on for a while. And, oh, Henry's going to pull out uh, Seymour Butts. Just kidding, not Seymour, but he's going to contact Dr. Butts again. And Dr. Butts will report to the court that Henry's penis is perfectly fine. It is 100% working, beautiful penis until Anne of Cleves comes around. So
1: what you're saying is that because Henry is an overgrown child, he has to thoroughly humiliate his new wife. Correct. Rather than just be like, actually, I got my feelings hurt and now I would like to not be married. That's it. Mm, Yes. Cool, cool. Nailed it. Look at my amazing penis. And how it shrivels in her presence. But, can you imagine? I mean, oh, yes, God, he's I, terrible. I, I, he's
0: terrible. He is terrible. But the problem <laughs> naturally is not Henry's fault. It's never Henry's fault. Nothing ever is. And Henry has turned his eye to the very young and very traumatized Catherine Howard already. Henry Henry's moved along. And Anne's ladies are questioning her on the command of the court. Anne's ladies Get told, hey, you need to go talk to Anne in German and find out if they've gone to bed and, like, what's going on. They've been sent to question her, and Anne's like, well, what should we be doing? Like, we go to bed, we kiss. Certainly, I'll get pregnant from this method, which is not how it works.
1: Not raised on a farm, huh? Well, she's very, like. Germanic backwater, not but she's in like she doesn't they have livestock, they kiss. Do you remember when you
0: were little and you thought kissing would get you pregnant? Like she's naive, sure. Want to tell you that shit's pretty shitty for Henry in the spring of 1540. Anne of Cleves is none the wiser, she's doing beautifully. She's representing at court in all the functions, people really like her. She will preside at the May Day celebrations in 1540. Like, she doesn't have a care in the world. She does not know that there are legions of men that have been assigned to take her down because of Henry's fragile penis problem. So let me sum up here real quick. The Duke of Norfolk sees an opportunity for his niece, Catherine Howard, to get the crown. Here's your international diplomacy part. Because the alliances are needed from AOC, from Anne of Cleves, because the alliances that are now in place from Anne of Cleves are the only thing in the way. And Norfolk knows that Cromwell is good in foreign policy. And he, Cromwell, is not doing a whole lot for the king right now in terms of helping Henry get the divorce from his poor unwitting bride. And now, maybe there's a little karma revenge tossed in on account of Anne Boleyn, who is also a niece of the Duke of Norfolk. He's the mean, crabby, terrible uncle who, okay. Norfolk's going to find a way to sell Henry on the way to make it happen. So he's come in, Cromwell's out, Norfolk's in, the game is afoot. And the Duke of Norfolk is filling Henry VIII's head with this terrific plan. Dude, I can get you everything you want. I hate to say it, Henry, but... Cromwell is the reason for all your troubles. It's all Cromwell's fault. If you can get rid of Cromwell, we can make this happen. So, a writ of attainder is sworn in June 10th, 1540. It's only been six months since Anne of Cleves arrived. This all happens in one year. The council will arrest Cromwell, will rip the order of the garter from his neck, and into the tower he goes. All kinds of charges. Just throwing them at the wall. Which one's going to stick? And for shifty of a dude as Cromwell is, his downfall is really fragile. Baby Henry needing his way yet again and going to any means to achieve it. The council needs Cromwell out of the way. They're working, the council is working with Rome to make this divorce happen with a quickness. You know who doesn't have any idea of what's going on in this place? Anna Cleves. She's none the wiser. She has no idea that any of this plotting contracts, Cromwell being arrested, like Mm -hmm. none of this, clueless. July 9th, 1540, Anne of Cleves banished from court. I banish you. She sent to Richmond Palace and there finally told, hey, guess what, Anne? Your marriage is illegal and uh henry is going to divorce you you shrivel his penis and she's like what i thought everything was going great i was at the mayday like i'm
1: i'm doing what i need what he wants to divorce me they really do say that communication is the key (laughs) to a good marriage (laughs) well the council norfolk and all of his dudes
0: think they found a way to make the whole mess go away as well as save diplomacy with Cleves and leave Henry free to marry Catherine Howard and poor Anne of Cleves, like stranger in a strange land. She's learning English. She has no idea what's happening, but she does remember what happened to Anne Boleyn. So Anne of Cleves legitimately a little bit concerned, like number one, what did I do? And number two, are they going to kill me? The council of Henry's has already assembled an ecclesiastic court. (laughs) Just like with Catherine of Aragon. Yeah, it's
1: God's fault what's happening.
0: (laughs) The ecclesiastic court already ready in place, but this time, everybody remembers Catherine of Aragon's mic drop. This time, Anne of Cleves is not invited to attend her trial.
1: Her spiritual
0: trial. Oh my God. Yeah, this is a nightmare. So the council goes to Richmond and they're like, hey, Anne, we need your consent to start this trial. You're not invited, but we need your permission to go ahead and start it. So they're sweet talking her with like, let's just make this nice and easy, honey. Just say you never fucked them and it's all over. And Anne's like, I'd like to keep my head. So she's quizzed by her ladies who will verify to the council there was no intimacy, right? So back into they go to the religious cabal and they're arguing three points. Remember that first pre-contract? With Francois, the Duke of Lorraine, all those years ago, they're like, nope, that was still valid. She was pre-contracted. She never should have been able to marry Henry anyway. But the church is like, hey, we dealt with that back in uh, 1527. We actually approved that not to go through, so that's not going to work. Now the council is going to be like, yeah, but Henry didn't even want to consent to the marriage. He wanted out before he got in. And I have all these witnesses that can attest that Henry never wanted to marry her. And it was just awkward turtle. And he had to go along
1: with it, which isn't going to work either. Yeah. I mean, that's base. oh, oh, so you knew going in, you didn't want this and you did it anyway. Well, how is this our fault? (laughs) I think I see the problem here, Hank. (laughs) So they're going to have
0: to resort on pillar number three. because The first two pillars of how they're trying have collapsed. And that last pillar is non-consummation of the marriage. It's biblical law. No one can argue with that. <laughs> like, oh, irony yeah. Is Hen- Henry
1: is very focused on biblical law. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, if you think about it, for more than about 30 seconds, you're really using, you got a lot of nerve, Henry, to pull this one out. When your claim against Catherine of Aragon was that she was the whore of Babylon with your brother and non he's got a lot of nerve. But anyway, AOC, not invited. She's holed up at Richmond, doesn't know this is happening with the speed in which it's happening because by July 11th, it's done. Deal's done. Two days later, this machine is finely tuned to get the king what he wants nice and easy like. But here's the thing. If it doesn't go down nice and easy, Henry VIII and his council have a backup smear campaign to turn Anne of Cleves into the dirty whore of Babylon, too. So, it's awesome. Whatever way it works out, it's going to work out. Council comes back to Anne June 11th. Calm down, honey. Got a mighty fine offer for you. Here's the offer from the king. You will live. A number one. Number two, you're going to get a lot of shit by just deciding to divorce him. And the church has decided this marriage is invalid. And if you could just sign this and just make a wise choice, honey, we need you to write to the king and tell him that he is awesome and that you are perfectly fine with everything and how it's going down. You need to beseech him for his kindness and all that jazz. And Anne of Cleves is like, well, I like my head. So she will write Henry the letter and off it goes. Henry immediately, like the same day he responds. I'm so grateful, Anne, and how sorry I am that it can't be any other way. But here are some terms for making it easy. Now you're going to be my sister. You're still going to retain high honor at court, but it says my sister. So this is going to keep Henry out of hot water with Cleves. In the divorce settlement, Anne is given 4,000 pounds a year and the use of Richmond and Bletchingly, and the incomes from Sussex, Essex, and Suffolk properties, and hey, you'll have a prominent role at court. You're second only to whatever new queen Henry gets and the children of the king. Oh, and also, my kids really like you, so we'd like you to stick around and be like the cool aunt. Uh, you cannot go back to Cleves. This offer is only good if you stay in England. For the rest of your life to receive all of my kindness. Owen, oh, also, we're gonna be monitoring your correspondence forever too. And Anne is like, wait, I, I don't think this is the way that this is done. Am, am I breaking protocol? Because she thinks her brother's gonna be mad at her, right? But she wants to keep her head. So there's letters that are forwarded over to Cleves and blah, 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 diplomacy. But by July 12th, marriage done. Hmm. It has lasted six months and six days. Hmm. Ouch. Lucky her, though. Lucky her. If there is a success story in Henry's wives, this Mm -hmm. is it. Because now Anne is a wealthy woman. A lot of the properties she gets have belonged to Thomas Cromwell. So they didn't cost Henry anything. Just, I mean, a little bit of paperwork. But there are no pesky, broken foreign alliances Henry is free to marry Catherine Howard, which Henry will do, let's see, how long does he wait this time? 16 days hmm. after the divorce. He waited 11 with Jane Seymour. Maybe like, that was a little gauche. Like a respectful <laughs> two-week pause. Well, it's a big day, July 28th, 1540, because the day that Henry and Catherine Howard marry also is the day that Thomas Cromwell is beheaded at the Tower mm. as a little wedding present that Henry gives himself.
1: So many things to celebrate on the illustrious <laughs> occasion. I
0: want to deep dive into what happens after this and give you a little bit extra because there's some good things and some bad things. But just imagine for a moment, Anna Cleves in our culture today in 2021, we're like, woo, team Anne, you made it out alive. Think about it though. She is now internationally known as the ousted wife of the worst king ever. And she's ousted for being ugly, for being unfuckable. And not much of a chance she's going to have on the remarriage market with that kind of reputation. But she's just a doll baby. She had that one bad day when Henry did something stupid. Like, oh, gosh, sweet, sweet baby. Okay, on the plus side for now, Anne has a lot of money, a lot of land, and a place at court. She's a dignified Virgo girl. She's going to play beautifully at court. She'll dance with Henry's new wife, Catherine Howard. Anne of Cleves is also friends with Catherine Parr. She's known as the king's sister. She's around at various intervals. There's a little scuttlebutt that happens after the divorce like oh, she's pregnant, but no, she's not and there are rumors going around of this possible reunion between Henry and Anne. And oh god. Anyway, as unlucky as Henry's wives were, this time is pretty good in her life. She can learn. She has access to people and books and she's going to learn English and earns the loyalty and devotion of her servants and her tenants. Like, everybody loves Anna Cleves. That 4,000 pounds a year, she's going to go on a clothes-buying spree. She's living large. She's living in honor and security with houses. Oh, and her horses, they can trot up to 12 miles an hour. Her heraldic panels, we've covered a lot of this on Trashy Tutors. Anyway, Anne has the capacity to please, and sure enough, she and Henry are going to become good friends. Once she knows the language, it turns out she's a hoot in English, too. She's surviving, riding the ups and downs. More independence, probably, than she would have ever had in Cleves. And this is going to kind of be her best time, 1540 to 1547, until Henry dies. And now the king's sister is the new king's aunt. And the Council of Eddie the Six, who is like nine years old, so it's not Eddie, but the council isn't too keen on keeping up with all of these, let's say, face arrangements that were made back in 1540 now that Henry VIII is dead, and it can go back to the Treasury. And Anne is costing a pretty penny as divorces go. So Richmond Palace this is kind of the fun part. She's kicked out of Richmond Palace. But she's still going to show up and set up court there. <laughs> like, she just continues to show up. And they're like, you can't
1: do this. I mean, that was the
0: agreement, though. <laughs> what are you going to do? What she is given in return is Heaver Castle, the Boleyn family home, Anne's family home. Because there's no Boleyn to inherit it, since Henry's killed all of them. So she'll get Heaver.
1: I mean, there's there's one. <laughs> Elizabeth the 1st is like Anne's daughter. I'm just saying there there's one. <laughs> yeah, there's one.
0: Over the next 10 years or so, it is sort of death by a thousand cuts. Anne of Cleves is being consistently downgraded financially even though she still has honor at court. She will attend Mary the 1st coronation. She'll be welcomed at court, but then get slung up in that same conspiracy that Elizabeth does during Mary's reign, and Anne is not invited to court after that. Anne will pass away at Hever in 1557. She makes a will before she goes. She takes care of all of her people and the villages around her, and a lot of her possessions are sold because she's in debt to pay for these provisions that she's made in her will. Anne of Cleves. Success story. As they go. For the wives of Henry VIII. She's a survivor and lived probably the best of any of Henry's wives. Yeah, probably. Anna Cleves kept her head, had it good for a while. The original AOC? The original AOC. No trash cans for the original AOC. Kind of love her. Right. I mean, Henry, I don't know. It's it, oh, infinity. It's, a, it's eternal, yeah. Infinity trash cans for him. But there's your middle, middle placemaker with how he gets out of divorcing Anne of Cleves before we roll into Catherine Howard's story Wednesday on Trashy Royals. And then I think we're probably done with the Henry VIII sandwich.
1: I'm not sure how I feel about that phrasing.
0: You wanted a deep dive. Y'all like the Tudors. I like the Tudors, too. So if we're going to do them, let's knock them all out. And then let us never speak of Henry VIII again.
1: Yeah, I have something slightly more contemporary waiting for us on the other side. Let's take a quick break. Come back and hear your more
0: contemporary girl-shut-your-mouth story. Different kind of queen. (laughs) Catch you back on the flip. There's never a wrong time to take a look at the things that are keeping you from living your best life. And if now is your moment... We recommend BetterHelp.
1: BetterHelp is confidential, convenient, and safe professional counseling with your own licensed therapist. BetterHelp's quick questionnaire matches you with a counselor in under 24 hours, and you can message your counselor at any time, even between scheduled phone or video sessions. And if you're not clicking, that's fine. It is free to change counselors.
0: BetterHelp is available worldwide. They offer specialized expertise that may not be available locally where you live. It's more affordable than traditional counseling. Financial aid is available as well.
1: It has just never been easier to find a licensed professional counselor. In fact, there are so many people using BetterHelp that they are recruiting counselors in all 50 states. We want you
0: to start living your happiest life today. As a Trashy Divorces listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com slash Trashy.
1: Join more than 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health. Visit BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp.com Trashy. Summer reading season is upon us. Have you ever considered how your personal finances would read as a literary genre? Would it be a sweet
0: romance with a happy ending? Or a thriller you could only read during the day?
1: The clever ladies at the Oak Tree Group want to help you write your most compelling financial story. These three holistic planners have 77 years of combined experience helping people navigate all kinds of financial plot twists and turns. They can help you with a wide breadth of financial
0: strategies, Check out their website, www.TheOakTreeGroup.net, and see the experience and areas of expertise
1: these women bring to the people they serve. The Oak Tree Group is offering our listeners a free one-hour consultation on your financial script. See their website, www.TheOakTreeGroup.net, for additional contact details.
0: So Stacy, you're bringing us a divorce that's a little bit more contemporary than my 16th century naughtiness.
1: Very. Oh, it's so contemporary. Uh, In fact, this is one I only learned about because trash pandas were all over it in our Facebook group. Yeah,
0: this is heavily requested. Uh Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not know who Rachel and Dave Hollis were until they split up last year. And if you delight in online scandals the way I delight in online scandals, you likely know that things have only gotten more complex for the mommy blogger, lifestyle influencer, and best-selling author since she and her husband broke up. Their story is very much a modern cautionary tale about making your family into a brand, and it's not clear to me that Rachel's brand will be able to fully recover from the cumulative events of the last year. Rachel Hollis is best known for writing the runaway 2018 self-help bestseller, Girl, Wash Your Face, but her ambitions are much, much larger. Ex-husband Dave, a Disney exec when they met, jumped away from Disney after her book took off, and has also written a self-help tome called Get Out of Your Own Way. Their company, The Hollis Co., or HOCO, also hosts, or used to, anyway, pricey in-person retreats for women, and at least until they divorced, Dave and Rachel hosted marriage retreats for couples looking to, like, optimize their relationships or something. Okay. Not really clear on the details. Girl, follow your own advice. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> if you don't know this couple, I think the origin story goes something like this. Rachel Hollis, January 9th, 1983 Capricorn, mm. which she was born, uh, was born and raised in tiny Weedpatch, California, population 2,000 or so, with a Pentecostal minister daddy and a built-in hard luck story. BuzzFeed's Laura Turner had an illuminating tidbit about the place in a November 2018 piece called Girl, Wash Your Face is a massive bestseller with a dark message, noting you might remember that name from a scene in The Grapes of Wrath, in which a watchman at the migrant worker camp in Weedpatch tells the Jode family about the Holy Rollers, Pentecostal ministers who had been coming through town. They kept asking for money, so the camp central committee decided that any preacher can preach in this camp, nobody can take up a collection in this camp, And it was kind of sad for the old folks, because there hasn't been a preacher in since.
0: Wow.
1: Turner continues, Hollis is herself the daughter and granddaughter of Holy Rollers, whose family migrated from Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Kansas to end up in Weed Patch. Weird, right? Wow. Anyway, Dad yelled a lot, and when she was 14, Rachel discovered the body of her oldest brother, who had died by suicide.
0: Oh, that's terrible.
1: Yeah. Her desire to get out pushed her to graduate from high school early and head to Los Angeles at the age of 17, where she planned to meet and marry Matt Damon. Oh, perfectly reasonable goal. Sure. Why not?
0: I was going to marry Rick Springfield. Oh, there you go. Totally understand. Well,
1: he's washed up, so. Well,
0: I was 12, so.
1: (laughs) So anyway, this dream led her to an internship and then a job at Harvey Weinstein's old stomping grounds, Miramax. Really? Yeah, which had produced Good Will Hunting, Matt Damon.
0: Oh, she's getting closer to making that dream happen. She
1: really, she writes about this in her book. Like, she fully expected that he was just going to walk in one day because why not? Like, of course he was going to stroll through Miramax, which made Good Will Hunting.
0: And fall in love with me.
1: Obviously. Uh, Obviously. Clearly. It was at Miramax where she met Dave Hollis, and she goes into some pretty grim detail about their courtship in her book. Dave is eight years older. He's a February 14th baby, uh, born in 1975. And when they met, she was just 19. She recounts that he treated her like a booty call, then would pretend they weren't anything to each other in public. When they hung out with his friends, they'd ignore her or call her the 19-year-old to her face. Yikes. And he wouldn't defend her. He set all the terms of their relationship. He wouldn't let her call him her boyfriend. Nope. Uh, he forced her to endure genuinely cruel treatment, including a level of physical intimacy that really can like created a conflict. She... Why would you marry that? Her self-image is like a, a good Christian girl. Really, like it did not include premarital sex. She had never dated until their first date.
0: Oh, good Lord.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Anyway, apparently she was only too happy to accept all of this because she was full on in love and knew they were destined to marry. Yeah, to you just her you didn't know
0: better. Girl, no better.
1: Yeah, it's a very sad chapter. His job eventually took him to another state. He flew home for Thanksgiving a couple months later and broke up with her. Hmm. Oh. But continuing the unhealthy and controlling aspects of the relationship, he called to check on her the next day. Like you do. <laughs> She finally stood up to him and stood up for herself and told him never to call her again. So, of course, he's banging on her door a few hours later, asking for another chance. Like in a fairy tale, one boundary, and he races across it. She does not recount how they went from that to a healthy, egalitarian relationship based on mutual respect. In fact, she just kind of waves it away, like, just then it was all perfect. He changed. I stood up for myself. Everything was good. They, they don't change. She what she very she definitely believes that by being willing to leave him for good, that, that like fully reoriented him and he became a great partner.
0: Put a new diaper on that man.
1: I am skeptical. <laughs> but it was not my marriage. Anyway, on one level, this is a very modern career story. Rachel started college when she got to LA at 17, but when the Miramax internship turned into a real job, she dropped out of college. She and Dave married in 04 after a couple of years of dating, and presumably the second year went better than the first. But who knows, really, because we know now that the highly curated public image is just that and may or may not bear any particular relation to the underlying reality behind the curation. She launched an event planning company called Chic Events later in 04. And in 2008, Inc. Magazine named her to its 30 under 30 entrepreneurs list. She was 25. And the quickie profile listed Chic Events 2007 revenue as $750,000. Whoa. It's like a one paragraph little Mm -hmm. profile. Um, But in it, she notes that when she started the company as a wee 21-year-old, with hubby's Mickey Mouse Cash. This is all my phrasing. She does not say any of this. <laughs> um, the magazine writes, quote, All she needed was a computer, a phone line, and an intern, which kept startup costs down. Girl, pay your staff. Pay your
0: staff, girl.
1: An intern. Are you kidding me? You're 21 years old and, and you you're have an, intern. an intern. Cheers. <sighs> Apologies. She wrote and published some light fiction that I think did all right, given that she wasn't a big name author yet. And then in 2015... Rachel Hollis had a viral moment on Instagram, which every woman dreams of. She posted a picture of herself on a beach in a bikini with stretch marks visible while vacationing at a resort in Cancun, naturally, with the caption, I have stretch marks and I wear a bikini. I have a belly that's permanently flabby from carrying three giant babies and I wear a bikini. My belly button is saggy, which is something I didn't even know was possible before, and I wear a bikini. I wear a bikini because I'm proud of this body and every mark on it. Those marks prove that I was blessed enough to carry my babies. And that flabby tummy means I worked hard to lose what weight I could. Flaunt that body with pride. Great. I approve message. of this message. Yeah. Big viral thing. I mean, millions of views, hundreds of thousands of like web visits to the Facebook page for her. Gr- like it, it was a big deal. Right. So, yeah, by now she had something called the chic site a product of chic media. So chic events had grown, morphed, transformed, and ambi- got and Embiganded, Yes. Sure. It, sheered. It um <laughs> Anyway, she would tell uh, the today show's website, something that kind of contradicts the whole message of the Instagram, the original Instagram post. So she shared with um, NBC that the picture had come a week after she completed her first marathon, which is like super cool. Right. But she says, quote, I thought, it's not going to get better than this. You ran the 26 miles, and I had been training for six months. My body is never going to be smaller than it is right now, so if there's ever a time to show off your belly, this is probably it. Ladies, flaunt that body with pride. Your
0: body is the body everybody needs.
1: As long as you've been training for it for six months, and you're as small as you'll ever be. Talk about highly curated.
0: Yeah. Right? Women really do a number on themselves and body image, don't they?
1: They really, like, oh, it's so, that's so harsh. Like, the original, the original caption, the original photo caption, that is a great message. I, I did six months of work to take this picture. That is not a great message. No. I, I will never be smaller than I am right now is a terrible message. However, skinniness appears to be a virtue to Rachel, uh, although her treatment of weight in her book, Girl, Wash Your Face, is mixed at best. On the one hand, on a couple of occasions, she references people sitting on their couch, 50 pounds overweight, as a worst-case scenario and a hypothetical case study in people who've let life pass them by instead of digging in and living it. She also uses the example of a friend from work who diets, loses some weight, and then gives up and gains it all back, plus some, asking, y'all, would you respect her?
0: Yes. <laughs> Because people go through their own individual struggles and just leave people alone. You're
1: not kidding. In that example, she's specifically calling out people who are flaky about their goals. But in a book that's purportedly all about interrogating the unexamined beliefs and assumptions that just end up in our heads and limit us, it feels pretty illustrative that so many of her negative examples are about hypothetical fat people. On the other hand, she literally has a chapter in Girl, Wash Your Face called The Lie. They're all set up as like a lie that's in your head that you need to kind of push back on. The Lie, I need to make myself smaller, which is weird. There's a lot of mixed messaging going going on here. A lot going on here. Um, I realize this is a slightly different concept, as in women are constantly told not to take up space, to dream smaller, to defer definitely to men, but also to older women to settle instead of chase, and she's saying, no, that's all garbage that got jammed into your head by the also incomplete people who raised you, and you should absolutely let that go, and to that, I agree. 100%. But there's a real tension here, and certainly plenty of people describe it as toxic, in telling people to dream big and run hard after those dreams and be willing to take risks and even fail along the way while also saying that people who fail at things do not deserve your respect. Maybe Pam, the office friend, doesn't enjoy exercise and Whole30-approved foods, but she scream-sings in a kick-ass punk band on weekends and would never divulge that to you, you judgy square. You just don't know.
0: Girl, don't make assumptions.
1: (laughs) Girl, be nice to Pam.
0: Poor Pam. I love Pam.
1: Pam may be so much cooler than you, okay? Oh, I
0: hang out with Pam on the weekends. We go get margaritas (laughs) She's awesome. Her uh, punk rock band yeah. is amazing. Oh, oh my
1: god, killer live. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying there are a lot of ways to live your best life. And for Rachel Hollis, that seems to be through entrepreneurship. As her business has become successful, mentoring other women entrepreneurs has become another focus. This has landed her fairly deeply in the multi-level marketing milieu, and I'm not going to lie, if you read Girl Wash Your Face while you're also listening to the first season of the excellent podcast The Dream, you're going to understand very deeply where Rachel Hollis is coming from. And it's not great. Lots of power of positive thinking kind of stuff. Lots of magical thinking kind of stuff.
0: No, I love magical thinking. I love living in big magic and manifesting creativity. This doesn't sound like that. It's yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. So I think I've gone into enough um, unqualified lit crit. Obviously you've tuned in to hear my thoughts on books When we left Rachel Hollis, the year was 2015, the place was Cancun, Mexico, and she offered the world an image that resonated with millions of women and gave a real jolt to her life as an Instagram influencer. So cool mama lifestyle guru plus positivity speaker is kind of catnip to a world that includes Oprah's book club and TED Talks. And when your husband is president of worldwide theatrical distribution for Disney, you probably can find someone to pitch your book idea to girl pull those strings
0: (laughs) more than likely
1: somebody at harper collins's christian imprint got a big raise pretty sure that's the case here's how nora krug at the washington post described the phenomenon that was girl Wash her face in november 2018 about 10 months after it hit the world okay rachel hollis is her own kind of wonder woman in a year of political blockbusters, her book *Girl, Wash Your Face*, a conversational self-help guide that mixes memoir, motivational tips, Bible quotations, and common sense girl talk, muscled its way onto bestseller lists and has not budged. It sold more copies this year than James Comey, Omarosa Manigault Newman, Reese Witherspoon, even Marlon Bundo, the rabbit, <laughs> the Pence rabbit. It was a
0: hell of a book, Marlon mm-hmm. Bundo.
1: That's about 1.6 million books, including ebooks and audiobooks. While fear and fire and fury ignited big sales quickly, then faded, Girl Wash Your Face started slow and picked up with time. If you have no idea who Rachel Hollis is, you are probably not a woman living in the heartland. Hollis is a 35 year old mother of four who's turned her lifestyle blog and life experience into a thriving business as a motivational speaker, podcaster, and yes, social media influencer. With her girl-next-door looks and tough-love message of self-reliance, you, and only you, are ultimately responsible for how happy you are. She has tapped into a well of female need. Call it the non-confrontational wing of the Me Too movement, or goop for red state women. (laughs) 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 Suddenly, there were millions of social media followers Uh. and ecstatic public speaking performances Again, she's a fixture on the like multi-level marketing conference circuit, you know, pumping up the, sure. the would-be, the millionaires-in-waiting, I guess. Anyway, a second book followed, this one more explicitly geared to women in business called Girls Stop Apologizing. And there were podcasts, including a couples-focused podcast called Rise Together, featuring her and Dave dispensing marriage advice. This hit the airwaves in 2018. They began hosting rise conferences for women and $1,800 rise together couples weekends where she and Dave, neither one trained in anything like counseling or psychology, just a bog standard feel-good American capitalist positivity rolled up with a dash of whatever you want it to be Christianity, shared strategies for having an amazing relationship. It's Perfect. It's work, you know, but who doesn't love work? Company culture at HOKO? The Hollis Company, after Dave left Disney and came aboard as CEO, began to shift as success begat success. According to a 2021 New York Times write-up by Katherine Rossman, called Girl, Wash Your (laughs) Timeline. In 2019 alone, Hoko went from 10 to 60 full-time staffers and netted more than $20 million in revenue through products and conferences. Yeah, yeah, that's, I bet that, I bet culture changed a bit. That's
0: a lot of grift.
1: There is a downside to the constant need for more content to feed the internet's eternal content engine, which we certainly can relate to. One time, employees were invited to a day-long leadership summit, which you can imagine is the sort of thing that would be exactly in the wheelhouse of people drawn to working for the HALSCO, only to arrive and find cameras everywhere so HOKO could package it all for the web. So that was disappointing. Employees also say Rachel changed. Every morning, she would glowingly engage with her Instagram fans on her Start Today show, a little live stream she did, and then she would arrive at the office later, standoffish, distant, wearing sunglasses, like just blocking out everyone. One former HOKO employee, Noel Crooks, has even written a novel called My Life with the Mogul. I will note the New York Times story did not say this is semi-autobiographical, however, it is a tale about an idealistic young woman who is left jaded and cynical after working for a self-help guru. Hmm. This is kind of extra resonant since um, Rachel's early, like, self-published stuff, the Party Girl series, drew from her own, like, event planning business experience. From, okay. So there, there's a little, I feel like there was a little, like, pokey in the eye going on with um, My Life with the Mogul.
0: This is a lot like the Devil Wears Prada. I Just so. maybe the Devil Wears Bikinis. Yes. There you go.
1: Yeah. It's likely that the Rise Together podcast was the most immediate black eye when the couple suddenly and seemingly out of the blue, even to people who knew them well, announced in June 2020 that they were divorcing. Obviously, this was done through social media. And keeping with the carefully curated thing we've come to know and love, Rachel posted the announcement beside a picture of the two of them smiling like goofy idiots, clearly from some long ago happy photo shoot. Here's what she posted beside that picture on June 8th. Guys, I have some hard news to share. And the honest truth is I have no idea how someone announces something like this. So I'm just going to say it. Dave and I have made the incredibly difficult decision to end our marriage. They are so happy in the picture next to this. It's it's jarring. (laughs) Think back to what she wrote about... Their first year in um, her book. Okay. Right. We started out as best friends 18 years ago.
0: No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You started out trying to get his attention and you only got it when you quit giving him your attention. And that core friendship.
1: (laughs) uh, And the truth is that core friendship and the the parts of us that work so well have become a band-aid for the parts of us that don't. We have worked endlessly over the last three years to make this work and have come to the conclusion that it's healthier and more respectful. Blah, 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 to end this journey. We remain dear friends, co-parents, all the rest of that. Fascinating, right? On April 30th, just a smidge over a month before, they'd posted a Rise Together episode called Keeping Your Relationship Strong During Quarantine. April 9th was How to Date at Home. March 26th, as we were all trying to figure out life in the COVID normal, was how we're keeping our relationship on track and our family sane. Slate's Rebecca Onion took a 10-hour tour of Rise Together episodes earlier this year and reports this about that April 30th episode. She writes, Episode 94, Keeping Your Relationship Strong During Quarantine, which aired just five weeks before the Hollises announced they were getting their divorce, is a real work of art. Now it sounds almost frantic over the top in its protestations of, We're doing great! Rachel reports that she told somebody that the couple had sex that morning and the interlocutor had expressed surprise because, quote, most couples hate each other right now during quarantine. And Dave says people are either falling deeply in love or being split apart. The couple talked about how good Dave's muscles looked in his disappointment at his canceled book tour. Oh, yikes. And dispensed some very April 2020 platitudes about how the pandemic had given them new perspective on what mattered. Rachel, later on in the show, says, quote, Our bond is as strong as it's ever been.
0: To be fair, we were all much younger people (laughs) in March of 2020 than we are now. In
1: late March of 2020. (laughs) Yeah.
0: We have evolved as a a people.
1: Sorry, for people who are not listening to this at the time we drop it, it is now May of 2021. And that was a joke about how long March felt last year. Oh, anyway, uh Rebecca Onion concludes, a grimmer artifact of influencer inspo culture has rarely been produced. Seems right. Since announcing the divorce, I don't get the impression that Rachel has given much in the way of a public explanation at all. Although last July, Dave finally had an Instagram post that clarified a few things. Beside a picture of the two of them in happier times, he wrote, in part, Two days after our sixteenth anniversary, Ray told me she didn't want to be married anymore that I could only become the man and she the woman we were each truly meant to be apart. After she told me it was clear this was a decision that was made and that the thousand little things that led here left continuing to fight for marriage a thing we didn't both want. If that is Boy, get a proofreader. If, <laughs> if that is how Dave Hollis writes, I will not be buying his book ever. Um yeah that that's that's some tough text there. Yeah. Dave, hire a copy editor. Pay him. (laughs) He confided that after a year of sobriety, he had spent two days drinking to numb the pain, Mm. but had since turned to running, therapy, faith, and being a good dad to cope. Again, they have four kids. He since moved on with another Austin area. Uh, They had moved to Austin after, girl, like, they had to leave Los Angeles for the authenticity. Oh, well, sure. Had to go to Texas.
0: Well, you can't be the goop of the heartland if you're not in the heartland. My
1: God. No. Also... They wanted to be neighbors with Elon Musk. <laughs> it made that up. All right. He's since moved on with another Austin area fitness influencer. He still does the Rise Together podcast, like as a solo interview show. And uh, he's while well, he's been very publicly supportive of Rachel after their split, it also seems possible that Dave Hollis is enjoying some delicious schadenfreude these days. That's because while the faith of many fans had wobbled in the aftermath of their splits, it had been shaken to the core in early April of this year, when Rachel posted a TikTok video in which she admonished a random commenter on the internet who called her privileged and unrelatable. It did not sit well with her. No, sis, she began, launching into a tirade. Literally everything I do in my life is to live a life that most people can't relate to. Literally every woman I admire in history was unrelatable. There was more to it, obviously, but... uh, I think that's the gist of it. Well, then she hashtagged, unfortunately, she just hashtagged a bunch of like famous women now and from history, including Harriet Tubman, Oprah Winfrey. I think Michelle Obama was on there like. (sighs) So this is where I will pull out one of my very favorite
0: quotes from W.C. Fields. It ain't what they call you it's what you answer to interesting why why do you respond to your haters let your ha- your haters let your haters enjoy and celebrate and hold on to their opinion as blessedly as you hold on to yours don't answer them
1: also when your entire brand is i'm an every woman just like you but here let me give you some tips on how to succeed like i've been lucky enough to don't you don't you don't get to then turn around and be like of course i'm not like you i never wanted to be like you i mean that's whew.
0: go yeah. hang out with pam your fat friend god
1: <laughs> pam's band is amazing rachel <laughs> go see them <laughs> oh my god it was not great this episode there were a couple rounds of apologies and as far as i can tell rachel has been off of social media since the spring and the aftermath of that it's worth noting that rachel has had some plagiarism problems in the past including unattributed social media posts quoting maya angelou and plenty of other people have noted that her language patterns borrow heavily from african-american vernacular english with the girl whatever and cis stuff i would also note that weed patch california whatever its shortcomings is not located in the american south y'all and moving to a mansion in suburban Austin in your 30s does not confer Southern credibility, I say, from the South. She'd also had a new book out later in 2020 called Didn't See That Coming, Putting Life Back Together When Your World Falls Apart. Obviously, she's going to address the whole thing in this, right? Sure. That's sure. what. Yeah. Yeah, she didn't. Oh, hey, what was that book about? This had been in production when the pandemic hit, and it was in edits when the divorce was announced. and. I don't know, the reviews that I read of it were not kind. Most importantly, though, it appears that she never really addresses her own life falling apart or how she is personally putting it back together in the aftermath of that. It's just weird coming from someone whose breakout book introduction says of her career as a lifestyle influencer, quote, I set out to be honest from the beginning. I vowed to be authentic and sincere. Apparently, that is a goal she has stopped imagining down to the tiniest detail each day. So I wonder if there isn't actually a fairly plausible explanation for the demise of the Hollis marriage inside of that first book of hers. She talks about how one of her early goals when starting chic events was to make enough money to buy a particular thousand dollar purse. I am not going to judge the materialism. We all have our things that mean a thing to us. She uses like this example to explain how to set reasonable, achievable goals as part of getting a larger objective handled. So she writes, but breaking it down into a bite-sized goal, in my case, buying a purse was achievable. Calling your shot is powerful when you're chasing down a dream, but it's also not enough. You have to spend real time focusing on everything you can about that dream. What does it look like? What does it feel like? How much detail can you imagine? How real can you make it in your own mind? Because here's the deal. My goals are real to me. There isn't a single doubt or question in my mind that I can achieve them. I have absolute certainty. The same way I did with marrying Matt Damon or (laughs) that ridiculously expensive handbag. Whether or not the dream ultimately comes true isn't the point. The point is how do you steer your ship in a clear direction? How do you stay on course even when the water is choppy or the boat is crashing on rocks? You do that by keeping your eyes on the horizon. This is not terrible advice. Yes, great advice. But this is what I will say. You can wonder whether that extremely driven, power of positive thinking adult 20-year-old, having been treated shabbily by a guy she desperately wanted to be married to, having been pressured into, for her, the moral quagmire of premarital sex to try to keep him, having been unceremoniously dumped only to have him return to beg for another chance after she created a single... Solitary boundary that he immediately leapt over. You can wonder whether that young woman hadn't hypnotized herself with her absolute certainty and all of that time spent focusing on the most minuscule details of her dream. It's a sad story, and it seems like the consequences to Rachel's business of all of this have just been enormous. Her RISE conference, which was supposed to happen early this month in Austin, saw most of its guests pull out after her little, I don't want to be relatable, bitch! tantrum and the company postponed it to the fall. We'll see. Personally, I will not count out Rachel Hollis for a comeback, but it it is really, really clear that the brand slash family that she built is never going to return as it was. And also that making your family, your brand is risky as hell.
0: Super risky.
1: Girl, I'm giving you 30 under 30 (laughs) trash cans. I don't know. Like, I, it's weird, right? Like, I, I cheer. And like, as much as I support women engaging in whatever cool, especially she's a fairly innovative business person. I mean, like, there are a few people who've gotten to very high levels in the influencer self-help thing. And she's in that echelon and good for her. But there's there's a lot there to unpack. I know your response is always like, go read Big Magic by Liz Gilbert. Always. And I I sort of feel like, girl, that's some good advice.
0: Elizabeth Gilbert is never going to steer you wrong.
1: I mean, but also use your own judgment. Like, never let these people's judgment substitute for your own.
0: I'm going to go hang out with Pam too. now. She's Seriously, my favorite. Seriously, man,
1: we, we're going to go hit a dive bar.
0: Well done, Stacey. That story's trashy. Oh, <sighs> Trashy, trashy.
1: Yeah, I'm super curious. Um, I can picture a number of ways for her to come roaring back.
0: Oh, she'll set her goal on the She'll set her eyes on the horizon. Yeah.
1: No, like I, I really, I think she really has it in her, but it's gonna, she's gonna have to get pretty deep with herself for a minute, which it looks like she's doing. So we'll see. Rachel Hollis, y'all girl
0: wish you the best. Y'all. Thanks everybody for tuning in for yet another episode of trashy divorces. Thanks for spending your time with us today. Don't forget. You can get extra free trash candy on that new bit.ly link bit.ly slash trash candy, trash candy. We have two episodes up now with the love letters of Henry VIII to Anne Boleyn. Make there something else fun up there this week for you. So if you're in need of a little bit more trash candy, you can go there. As always, you can support us on Patreon for, I don't know, 650 episodes over there at patreon.com slash trashy divorces.
1: That is where we are. Yeah, get uh, sources and like everything we've used in our episodes. You can find that at TrashyDivorces.com in the, on the show page. And uh, yeah, I think that's it for us.
0: Be sure to tune in Wednesday for another episode of Trashy Royals. We're going to talk about the Catherine Howard rate Jane Rochford. Mm-hmm. Little debacle, another one of Henry's beheadings. Mm, fun. I mean, <laughs> Henry, they had sandwich, man. Let's just get it, get it done. Get her done. Girl get her done
1: we can't wait to see you back next week nope in the meantime keep your hands clean
0: Uh, keep your hearts trashy
1: get jabbed if you haven't and uh human trash up that heart
0: be well (laughs) y'all we appreciate you have a great week we'll talk soon Bye. bye and thanks to you for listening Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta Georgia by us